Yeah. <laughs> G'day, guys. How are <laughs> That was very formal, wasn't it? That was. That jumped straight in, didn't it? I think the hardest part of this show is starting. It's like, what do we say? Yeah, it's like sex, isn't it? It is. What do you say to get it? Three people, you know. That's right. Well, I, yeah, we're I don't know. We're all looking what it's at like each other else, because we're back in ISO. <laughs> We're back in ice. Yeah, so do we start or uh, what yeah, do you want to do? Yeah, um, all yeah. standing there naked. Yeah, How you, you going, know, guys? This, yeah. is, this is the 80s montage. I'm, I'm Jay Jovi. I'm Sammy Hardon and tonight is your special night that you oh voted for. Oh, my God. Depeche Mode. Depeche fucking Mode, mate. Oh, my God. Look out, we Australia a, and the world. We did a little poll, didn't we, Sammy? We did we a did poll. We did a little poll. Stuck it up our was, ass. Yeah, pulled it out, and the answer was Depeche Mode. It was against the Cure, <laughs> which I was quite surprised. But look, either way, I would have been chuffed because Absolutely. I love both of those bands. Yeah, and I think eventually we will do a Cure special down the track. We just wanted Absolutely. to know what you wanted. Yeah, I was. You know? I thought it would be neck and neck, but um, Depeche won out by far. They did, which was they interesting. Did. Which was good because I probably know less about Depeche and more about The Cure, so I've had to really look at stuff and look at what's actually happened in their career, which has been really cathartic and made me appreciate them even more. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It draws you closer. I mean, I've I've always been drawn to these guys. Yeah. Look, to be honest... They're probably my favourite 80s band. Yep. Um, I think I may have mentioned that before. It's it's The thing about Depeche is that they started sort of like a teeny bopper band and they got better and better and better and better and better. They did. With, without, without having to sort of really step away drastically from their genre at any point. Like, mm. it was a really beautiful, progressive change. They released albums every year. They constantly, you know, they've never, they've, they've never broken up. They've, they've continued um, to, to work through it right up until this point. And they've mm. just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. They're, they're amazing. Well, it's been 40 years we've heard of Depeche Mode. Fuck, yeah. Because it, it's it has. 1980 and it's 2020 now. Yeah. It's been 40 yeah. years. So... That's right. It is a long time to stay together as a band and it is a marriage that you never expected, you know? God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were sort of uh, – they, they had met each other when they were about 17 but mm-hmm. they started this when they were 18. They started this sort of, um, you know, the, the – uh, the original lineup when they were 18. So, you know, that's incredible to, to sort of begin that young and still 40 years later you're still having a go and doing really, really well. That's right. And they did say in an interview, it was with Ricky Gervais, Maddie and I were just watching it, what else are they going to fucking do? Work at Tesco as fucking shelf people? <laughs> like they've yeah, got to exactly. stick to it. And oh, that would have been a great interview. It was a great interview because they talked about Bowie and and yeah. Ricky Gervais was a little bit of a rock star in his day as well. He was. Um, and uh, they had a – I mean, I found Depeche Mode when they get interviewed, they were really friendly kind of bright guys. But yeah. when you hear them musically, it's like, oh, shit, 
don't hurt the guys, don't hurt the guys. But in an interview, yeah. they're totally great, you know. Yeah. Smiley yeah. They, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, very affable and very well spoken as well. Mm. They were from uh, Essex in the UK. Yeah. Um, so not from London, you know, they were country boys as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, beautifully spoken. They, they, what I love about them as well is that they've influenced so, like The Cure, actually yeah. really similar to The Cure in this respect, they've influenced so many other acts that have come after them, um, like The Killers, like The Presets, Muse, Arcade Fire, Nine Inch Nails. Bloody Deftones, yeah, you know, yeah, incredible. And they're not they're not all particularly um, electronic artists or no. acts. They're uh, some of those are like metal acts. I mean, you look at Marilyn Manson as well. You look at Perfect Circle. Yeah, um, they they've they've had a really strong in influence on good bands. Yeah, you know, on yeah. great bands. Yeah, and I think it was the lyrics. People loved the lyrics, and they really spoke to them, you know, mentally and and dove, you know, like it was like especially with men, they love those lyrics and those emotions that Brooke came out with that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was just who are they? What do they do? Like I've I've, I've heard because I'm a bit older than than a lot of the Depeche Mode fans have been listening to, it's it's how they've looked into Depeche Mode after hearing, um, say, um, one of the songs. They've gone, oh, my God, I need to look into these songs. Before they were even in the record shops, you know, because mm. they weren't huge commercially um, no. until they really did just can't get enough. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't find the shit in the record shops. But yeah. I was asking you before because um, what was your emotional experience with Depeche Mode? Have you got a story? Because everyone has a story. Um, I, th- I think I have the, the closest personal connection to their single It's No Good, which came out when I was finishing high school. Yeah. Um... And it just, it's no good, obviously, came out in the 90s. This is the thing, this is the other thing about Depeche. They've progressively gotten better. Mm. You know, they were great in the 80s and that all that stuff really cemented their legacy, everything mm. they did in the 80s. Mm. But, like, their, their period during the 90s was incredible mm. as well. Mm. And so, um, you know, mid-90s mid, uh, mid when I was graduating high school, um, it's No Good came out and by this time Depeche Mode was sort of thought of as being alternative, you know, alternative rockers. They sort of morphed over time and they were sort of fitting in and around um, grunge acts and stuff, although yeah. by no means were they grunge. But because they were so emotional, they could fit in with that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and I remember... I remember so clearly the intro to It's No Good with um, those incredible long big synth notes and it made made me think of like finishing high school and like, fuck, what am I going to do now? Yeah, like, right. I've got my whole life in front of me. You know, yeah. I, I remember that was such a personal song to me. What about you? What was your first? Um, well, I... In Smash Hits in about 1983, Smash Hits came with a series of stickers and the stickers I used to stick on my school diary. For some reason, there was a circle sticker and people will remember this if they're around the same age. 
in, in, in Australia, there was a sticker of Dave Garn's face that was in a round circle. And I stuck it on my diary in about year eight and I didn't know who he was. I had no mm. fucking clue but there was just something about his face yeah. and I loved it and I put it on the front of my diary and I ended up telling all the kids at school, this is my boyfriend. And we, we didn't know who he was. No one knew who he was. This is probably before Just Can't Get Enough actually. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, maybe not. 1983, yeah, maybe been the same year. And I remember now I think back having David on the front of my diary and not knowing who the fuck he was until later on in life but for some reason I had this connection. Yeah. Um, with him and I used to tell the kids that was my boyfriend and they'd go, what does he do? And I'm like, he's a singer. And that's all I knew. So I went into this whole emotional Piscean fucking vibe about this band I didn't and this front man that I didn't even know and he reminds me a lot of a lot of my favourite, a lot of my best friends like Edward and Jason in England very much like those guys that I've actually oh, wow. hung around with during my life. So that was so funny that I used to have a sticker of him on my diary. That's fantastic. I love that. And there's I something didn't about know. there's mm. something about um Dave Garn that reminds me of um um our mate Brian from Pseudo Echo. Yeah, right. That they, they they I don't know, there there was something maybe similar about them at the time. Yep. You know, at that in that sort of um, yeah, early to mid eighties yeah. period. Yep, true, true. I, I I sort of I I think I used to get them a, a little bit mixed up when I was when, when I was younger, but yeah. I knew they were fucking cool. You know, yeah. They always well, they, had, they both always electro. both had good hair. Yeah, yes, they were both yeah. electro, and I mean, doing the keyboard thing was a real risk to take as well. Yeah, but let's just read out the lineup of. Um, Depeche Mode and who was actually in the band because that tells us a lot about where the production went as well Absolutely. in the first couple of years. Because um, so we had David Garns, the the lead singer. Well, let's go. Let's go back slightly. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Vincent Clark actually sort of started the you know started things off. He was yep. he was because he was sort of. Um, he conceptualised it at the beginning and he sort of acted as their manager as well. So you've got Vincent Clark, you've got Martin Gore and Andy Fletcher. And they um, – so they formed what would become Depeche Mode but the name of the band was Composition of Sound. That's right, yeah. And they used to love OMD. Oh, Did yeah. you used to like OMD or oh, Orchestral Manoeuvres yeah. in the Dark? Look, I liked some of their stuff but I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan. Um, they, they were inspired by those guys and it was actually OMD that caused uh, uh, Vincent Martin and Andy to switch their instruments to synths. So, you know, rather than guitar, bass, you know, they, they all picked up synths. So mm. they, they, they borrowed money from all their friends and their families and, and stuff to, to buy synths. So it was, it was um, quite a kind of concerted effort to have to go towards electro, uh, you know, electronica from the beginning. Yeah, totally. So um, it was actually Vince as well that saw Dave singing for the first time. Well, a lot of people will argue without Vince Clark there would have been no Depeche Mode. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. A and, lot of and people will say that and I kind of agree with it. Yeah, I do as well. Like as much as I kind of get a bit pissed off with – I get a bit pissed off with people that I'm, – I'm jumping ahead of myself here but um, – I'll, I'll bring this point up in a moment. Let me come back to it. Um, Vince saw Dave singing and he saw him singing Heroes by David Bowie. Yep. Um, and he loved his beautiful sort of baritone voice, which is like Dave Garn's signature, that beautiful, um, you know, he doesn't have to do sort of vocal ac- acrobatics. He's, he has a beautiful timbre to his voice, like a beautiful tone. Um, and... So Dave came on board and then they changed the name. Um, and can you remember where they got the name Depeche Mode? I don't remember but I've looked into it. It was from a French magazine. So yeah. Depeche was dispatch and mode was fashion, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It means yeah. like fashion news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, which it is, suits which is them cute. because they were fashionable but without yeah. being fashionable. Yeah, you know, like yeah. we just heard this keyboard orientated band of these guys that were incredibly um, such a powerful force separately and together. Mm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Vince was writing a lot of their stuff at the very beginning as well, um, and they used to they <laughs> at the beginning they made a demo tape. But instead of sort of posting it out or po- posting out multiple tapes, they they deliver the tape personally to the to the record companies, and they'd pretend as if you know it was their only tape because the record companies would be like, yeah yeah yeah, leave it with us and we'll have a listen, and they'd say, nah, it's our only one, so we'll just wait while you play it, and they'd sort of demand that the record companies would play it, and most of the time they just get told to fuck off, mm. um, but. Because of this, because because um, because they'd sort of, uh, I I guess uh, coerced the companies into playing their demo tape. Um, they they did get sort of a bit of big, big uh, bigger recording company attention, and they got all kinds of offers from all like big big name recording companies and they got offered like um clothing allowances and like all of that kind of shit but they said no to them all essentially and they they actually went with a guy called Daniel Miller who was a producer and he was starting his own label called Mute Mute Records yep and um, they initially didn't sign anything with him. It was just a verbal contract. But obviously sort of down the track they would they would make that more concrete. Um, so they trusted him enough to, you know, just have a, a, a verbal contract with him and, and off they went. They're still with him today though. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, he, he – geez, like well into the 80s, he produced – a lot of their stuff as well. Yeah, he did. You know, he did. Majority of their stuff. Because we've got the so. first album, Speak and, Speak and Spell, which I love that mm-hmm. title. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the first single off that was Dreaming of Me. That was the first That's single, right. which went number 57 on the charts in the UK. Yeah. Which they were really encouraged about. They were like, fuck. Yeah. You know, we've actually, we've actually, our first single is a charting hit. 
yeah. let's fucking take this seriously. Because they hadn't know? done much promo and they were surprised that that had happened. So they thought yeah. if we buckle down and do some promo, this yeah. is going to happen. But tell me about your Vince Clark thing that you were going to talk about because he's in the band obviously now. All you right. know, like in this stage of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll sort of... I'll sort of bring us up to speed with that. So they um, they released their second single then after Dreaming of Me, which was New Life. Yep. Which is a fucking great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking great song. And they went um, on top that, of the pops as well. That's right, yeah. yeah. New Life went to number 11 in the UK. Um, when they went on top of the pops, they caught the train down to London and they carried their synths. Um, above their above their head, all the way from the train station to, to BBC Studios. Mm. I love that. That's that's yeah. um, that I, I hear a lot of that from from British artists, um, especially around this period about yeah. how they'd like you know get trains and catch the tube to gigs and they'd play three gigs in a night and they'd they'd get the you know they'd do the first gig and then they fucking catch the tube to the second gig and they'd be off their face by the time they got to the third one and yeah. getting getting trains around London. Anyway, so they they um, they performed on top of the pops, which would have pushed them even further. And then they released Just Can't Get Enough. Yeah. Which look, a lot of people if you were to look on like a you know hits of the eighties compilation the way in which they would include Depeche Mode is most likely going to be Just Can't Get Enough. Of course. It's very, yeah. very poppy, very easy on the ear. Yeah. Unless you've played it like a hundred thousand times like we have. Yeah. And you want to kill yourself every time you go to do it again. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. But I, when I did watch that movie over the weekend, the, the fans fucking love it. Even oh, yeah. the fans love it. And I was surprised yeah. that they don't go, oh, really? But yeah. they really do love it. It's like their Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? When when they play it live, it, it actually sounds fantastic. It, you know, it's, it, it fits in with the rest of their uh, catalogue. But um, they released that in September 81. It went to number eight in the UK. And it actually went to number four in Australia. Um, they, once again, they're a successful, you know, an act was successful here um, as well as their, um, as well as their home country. Well, it was know? a club crossover as well. It was something right. they played in the clubs. Every dumb shit was hearing it and it was just can't get enough. And people loved it. It got a lot of radio. And the video is quite clever. It was quite cheap. Um, but it's yeah. got the three boys in keyboards in a circle with a couple of their mates that look kind of androgynous and it just sort of really epitomises the 80s, that yeah. song, to a lot of, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. He only left so a month later after that. That's right, that's yeah. right. They they um, So Just Can't Get Enough was released in September. They released the album Speak and Spell in October. Um, the album itself went to number 10 in the UK. Yep. And it was actually, I'm, I've got to send you guys the photo. They, they, um, they named the album after the Speak and Spell toy. Can, and that never occurred to me before. Can you remember the Speak and Spell I toy? Do. I do. So you'd like, you know, yeah, ridiculous yeah, to think yeah, about yeah. it now, but you'd type in a word and it'd like go, you know, fuck me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a bear or something, wasn't it? Or something or a bear. No, or... it looked like a calculator. It was oh, like a red okay. calculator. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I remember. I would have had three of them. Yeah. But the d- it didn't it's... work for me. It sounded like Stephen Hawking, and you'd fuck, you'd um, you'd write filth into it, and it'd say it like yeah, <laughs> you know, like fucking <laughs> speaking spell. <laughs> Just can't get enough was actually the last track written by Vince. Yes, because he left in in November. Yes. That's fucking unbelievable. And and I was sort of getting this bu- to this before. I get so fucking angry with people that leave bands at this point. I just think there must be something fucking wrong with you. Like if you've had, in the matter of a couple of months, you've had, a, a, and especially when you're fucking, he was 19. The rest of them were 18. He was 19. Um, especially when you're that young. And you're sort of getting getting a taste of success to go, oh, nah, nah, this isn't what I want. But. <laughs> I don't but, think it was about success. I don't think no. it was about success. He, I think he was sort of running the bus there for a while and I think he just got over it. I think he, um, I've heard in interviews and stuff that he, he himself said he got sick of touring. But they all say that's bullshit. They say they, um, they felt that. Once they signed that um, he would have to sort of get what he wanted to do through uh, three or four steps of approval from different people before it would go ahead. And that really, Mm. which I think got like, fuck, that's strong minded for a 19 year old. But um, he left the band and he would uh, with, what was their name? He did Yazoo with Alison Moyet. So the yeah. record company warned him, and we have talked about this before. The record company warned him and said, if you leave, you may not make money again because you basically are leaving with nothing. It's um, a fair call. But look at his life, man. Like he's, what he's done has been fucking incredible. It's fucking incredible. Like, you know, if he had – if that had happened, if he had have left – and um, nothing had to happen. Oh, look, that's what I'm into. Bit of nice. tequila. Uh, if he had have left and done nothing else or, or, you know, attempted something else and it never went anywhere, he would be the biggest candidate for the fucking one dick wonder. One he dick would have wonder, been the yeah. one dick wonder of the fucking 80s. Yeah. But Yazoo were fucking great. Yazoo were great. Yep. And, and so isn't it interesting that um, I I never picked Yazoo as Alison Moyet. I didn't realise that. I knew her yeah. from her other stuff later on. Yeah. And I, I never actually picked that vocal for a female vocal. It sounds yeah. very much like Dave Garn. Yeah. Interesting, uh, isn't it? It also sounds like the guy from Erasure. So I think Vince Clark does some vocal stuff with his songwriting. Right. Um, so he, she sounds more like the dude from Erasure because Vince Clark would join Erasure as well and that That's was his right. baby. But I actually think Vince has done this because at this stage of music not many people were doing keyboard stuff, right? So if you're yeah. going to be successful in this first keyboard orientated band, 
how hard would it be to think in your head, I could start another keyboard fucking thing and that might take off as well. Because we're looking at a time where keyboards weren't the fucking vogue, weren't the norm. Nah. So it was maybe he just put two and two together. Yeah, yeah. You Like to have that amount of self-belief at that age. Yeah. Um, to, to be able to, um, you know, leave something like, like Depeche, go and do Yazoo, but then leave Yazoo and go and do Erasure. With, yeah. with the similar kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a synth duo, you know. Yeah. Um, and Erasure was hugely, um, hugely popular, hugely successful as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, you know, totally, totally, absolutely. Obviously a very, um, a, a very talented dude. Yeah, I, I just basically think he likes to produce and he likes to and do kind of different music. Um, mm. But now, in saying that, Just Can't Get Enough was obviously written by him yeah. and the fucking money he would have made from that and still makes from that would be astra-fucking-nomical. And you know what? Like, they essentially weren't signed. It was a gentleman's agreement. There were no contracts. Right. So so it's, 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 um, it's like an independent release. Yeah. They would have fucking made so much money out of it. Mm-hmm. Look, there's um, – I think there was a bit of acrimony um, with him leaving. Um, I can sense a bit of acrimony from from um, watching a, a lot of interviews and stuff. Um, they sort of all beat around the bush, all of them. Yeah, they did stop playing Just Can't Get Enough live, I think. Right. From memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, because people do go, every time we play it, you're going to get paid. Yeah. Let's fucking – and I mean, you can't do that. Obviously, they, seemed, they would have found um, that out. They seemed a bit a bit dirty on him, and he seems a bit dirty of them on them. Actually, I'm quite glad that he left because I think when they brought in the new dude, it changed their sound completely. That's not right. Dis, not disregarding Vince, but it changed their sound, and because um, they had two singles in between the, the second and the third album, the first and the third album. Mm. Um, they had a couple of singles that were just seven-inch vinyls, um, which were after, which was See You, um, which was also produced by Daniel Miller, top ten in the UK, and The yes. Meaning of Love, which was seven-inch. Yeah. So they had a couple of singles before we get to Alan Wilder. That's right. Mm. So uh, they when when uh, Vince left, Vince was their lyricist as well, basically. Yes, he uh, was. He, so, so they lost their lyricist, and they, but they, they say that they never sort of had the feeling of fuck. What are we going to do now? It was just like, okay, cool. We we just keep going. We find somebody else, and they put an ad in the paper, and it said something like, um, um, looking for looking for uh, um, um, looking for musician to join established band must be under twenty one. Wow. Um, and so uh, Alan Wilder joined, even though he was 22. He <laughs> joined and he actually stayed with them right up until the, the mid-90s. So 95, it, Alan, yeah. Alan would then have a huge effect on their sound because he was a really accomplished muso, you know, and they weren't. They, they were He was a classical pianist, yeah. He That's was right. classical, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he um, he was very skilled 
um, as a keyboard, as a as a pianist, and so he 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 was backing his experimentation with that level of skill, whereas the other boys were still getting their heads around everything, you mm. know. Um, so they did record that second album uh, in September '82. Um, and basically it was Daniel Miller from Mute that he he basically came up to um, Alan Wilder and said, oh, you know, we I know you've just come on board but we won't need you for any of the recordings because the original three boys wanted to prove that they could succeed without Vince. So they were sort of... I don't know if they wanted to stick it up Vince in particular. Maybe they just wanted to prove it to the industry and themselves. Yeah. Um, but maybe they wanted to stick it up him as well. <laughs> I think they would have. I think they yeah. would have. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Because he didn't end up – Alan didn't really start until 1983 um, construction time again, which I think sort of is a bit about Vince, isn't it? Construction time again, you know. Oh, like, yeah, rebuilding. I'd never yeah, put that together. That's yeah. very good. Well, that's what oh, I sort great. of got from it. Yeah, yeah. So um, Alan was pumped to come on board. Like he was so excited to come on board because by this stage they actually had a name. Depeche Mode um, had a name. They had a profile. Yeah. So he was he was thrilled and they uh, they released the second album Broken Frame in September and yep. then they toured the USA – trying to break the US uh, in October. So he was, you know, he was, I, I don't think he was cut by not recording. He was thrilled to come on board. Of course. Um, so as you say, they did the third album, Construction Time Again. Yeah. Um, and they released that in 83. Now they recorded this in Berlin at um, Hansa Studios where Bowie recorded um, what, what, people call the Berlin Trilogy of albums, which is mm -hmm. Low, Heroes and Lodger. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how much Dave Garn would have loved it. absolutely loved that considering yeah. that he was singing Heroes when, when Vince first discovered him. So, um, uh, and look, I know so many artists that have, that speak a lot about Berlin at that time because you've got to think, it was East and West Berlin at the time. It was East, East and West Germany. Uh, you had the, the, the East that was the um, – the East was the communist bit. Is that right? I'm not sure, honey. Oh, I'm shit, not very I always geography. get that wrong. I'm not very good at geography. I hated it at school. I fucking hated it. <laughs> you, you basically had – I think I was wrong. I think it, it's basically the, um, the East Germany was the communist side and West Germany was the side that was a bit more liberal and open and more reflecting on the rest of Europe, reflective. I may be wrong about that. <laughs> but, look, definitely two different cultures, but apparently it was incredible. Yeah. It was, it was really amazing. Um, they, they, it was a big shift in sound because Wilder started – his influence started really coming through and he, he um, and Maddie might be interested in this, but I don't think he's in the studio at the moment, but um, they, he, he actually brought in the Synclavia and the EMU emulator as samplers. So they started using samples and um, it, it was the samples that created that really industrial sound for them. Yeah, he so did go industrial, didn't he? 
That's right. Yeah. Because yeah. they would they would basically when they'd come into studios, they'd they'd ask ask where the kitchen was. Yeah. And they'd get all the pots and pans and throw them down the fucking stairs and record that record it all. Yeah. And that's where they got those awesome samples. You know, they'd loop those sounds and create those those awesome samples. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think we see a little bit of that coming with people are people in the video as well, where they're playing the pipes and shit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the first single was "Everything Counts," which is a great one that went to yeah. number six in the UK, um, and they toured Europe. They toured Europe um, on on the back of this album, uh, "Construction Time Again." Yeah. They love that industrial sound. It was a bit of a departure, so it was confronting for some people. Um, yeah. And they they got a bit of criticism for it as well, um, that people were saying that it was a bit of a gimmick and, you know, like what the fuck are these guys doing? And um, Because you got to think of the time. This is sort of 83, 84, this period. They're contemporaries at that time and the people that they would have been compared to would have been like Duran Duran. Yeah. Who right at this time That's right. would have just been fucking taken over the US. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And then you, the, then you got Depeche. Ballet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Then you got Depeche like throwing pots and pans down the stairwell for, to make st- samples. Like and Nick Rhodes was been, only throwing pencils in the fucking piano. <laughs> He was throwing vodkas down his throat. He was throwing hamburgers on his fucking synth. (laughs) (laughs) These guys Ah. are throwing the real shit. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, they tour, they loved that experience and so they then came back to Hunter Studios again Mm. um, and they recorded the first single of the next album. See, they're incredibly incredibly productive. The next single. Incredible. Yeah. The next single was People Are People. Love it. Which we opened the show with, didn't we? Yeah, I reckon we should have or we will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this Ah. is the song where I actually discovered them in Australia. Like People Are People was on high rotation in a lot of the video like Sounds in the Morning, Simon Townsend, Wonderworld. And this is where I fucking worked out the guy on the front of my diary was this cunt. Yeah, right. right. Okay, there we it go. It was like, oh, there he is. My yeah, boyfriend yeah. of the future. Yeah, yeah. So this sort of this sort of sampling sound and effect became really, really popular. Um, mm. You think of Art of Noise as well. Yeah. Like a lot of bands were doing, you know, using industrial sounds and and making this incredible percussion with these everyday sounds. And it was. It was incredible. Really... Um, Really typical of this mid-period of the 80s. And this track, People Are People, went to number one in Germany. So this was their first number one. Mm. Went to number four in the UK and it was their very first hit in the USA. It was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, The Germans would use it for their uh, Olympic campaign in the same year. And it was wow. huge with the gay community. It was huge with the LGBT mm. community yeah. as well. Well, this is what I love about Depeche Mode is they're so camp and yeah. it, it's just such a great mix of people. 
and genres and just, you know, that androgynous. It didn't matter who you were. They, and, and like you, you look at Martin Gore around this period. So, you know, Martin Gore, by the way, was was took over as the lead, well, the head, the, the main lyricist after That's Vince right. left. And the song So writer, Vince yeah. left and Martin sort of yeah. picks it up. Martin is very much like Nick Rhodes in that way that. Except better. Ex- <laughs> well, yeah. You, you know, but you think. You think um, Nick Rhodes is probably the best thing about Duran Duran. Martin Gore, <laughs> you've got to look at fucking photos of Martin Gore in this fucking period, mate. He looks like, he looks like. Oh, you mean visually the best? Oh, everything, everything. Yeah. The one in Duran Duran I think would be John Taylor, the standout. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, but I, um, I, I love it that you think that because everyone would have their different opinions, you know, with yeah, Duran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, go back and look at <laughs> the go back and look at fucking Martin Gore. Martin Gore's like the puff of the band as well. Like I Nick love Rhodes that was, about you know Martin what I mean? Gore. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So like the curly um, hair, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And and he'd have like little bits kind of plaited, and he'd have bits of rag, and like oh fuck, he he looks awesome. Yeah, eyes just get drawn to him every time, you know, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. in photos of the band. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's that's right. He yeah. does love a butterfly wing and a silver yeah. dust. He does love yeah. that. That's um, right. And Maddie's they, just feeding us with that info. <laughs> He he um Maddie was also saying that he, you know he would be the one in the photo shoots and the clips and stuff that would look at look like he's been out all night on the fucking angel dust and <laughs> he's turned up to the shoot which hey they probably all did of and this course. is this is the other thing as well none of us really knew anything about these guys I could exactly. I still couldn't tell you if Martin's gay or straight or what I don't think they I think all of them um have, you know, families and stuff, have Well, have David's been married three times and he's got about 36 kids. <laughs> you know, David's yeah. the campest of camp. Yeah. But he's been married and there was always a lot of, um, oh, I reckon Vince is definitely gay for sure. He would have tasted a cock for Not sure. Not Vince, sorry, sweet, um, Martin. Martin. Martin, yes, yes, yeah, yes. I, I th- oh, shit. Sorry, but Vince. I love Martin. Because yeah, yeah. Um, I know I get those two mixed up. Keyboard players, are, you know, I love Martin because he is a little bit like Nick where he doesn't say anything and he mm. just smiles or, you know, Nick has that look about him. And but and David will sometimes talk for Martin and go, yeah, well, Martin yeah. thinks this, Martin thinks yeah. that. So keyboard players are, a rig- are very weird dudes, you know. Yes. Yes. They are weird. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Maddie's gone. Maddie, Fuck you both. Maddie's pushing back against that comment in our ear. So, um, people are people. They Martin Gore actually hated that song. He he hates it now. He hates it yeah. now. And looking back, he he lists it as um, in amongst songs that he regrets. Um, and this is they they actually haven't played it live since 1988. Right. Which is amazing because kind of um, it was their first big hit in the US. This, this was like their entry into breaking breaking the US market, you know. Um, <clears throat> but look, 
Fourth album was released in September 84. It's called Some Great Reward. Um, this was the first album, and I think off the back of um, People of People, this was the first album to enter the US charts. Fans were turning up to their shows by this stage in droves, you know, yeah. and sort of previously they – no one would come to their gigs. In the first couple of albums they say we'd literally play to one man and his dog. And this is like part of the reason why Dave became the main um, singer over Vince because Vince can sing as well. Mm. Um, was because Vince is very Vince was very closed off, mm. very clinical. This is this is um, a huge insight into Vince's character as well, and probably the reason why he's kind of moved through a few different acts is be, he. He's an amazing collaborator, amazing musician, but the interpersonal stuff he's very bad at. Mm. So Dave actually got the singing gig in the band because he had more friends because they they needed people at um, their gigs. So Dave had more friends that would turn up. Yeah. Well, Vince knew he wasn't a front man as well, though. He knew that he wasn't going to cut the mustard. And he suggested Dave anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I guess. you know, he's more of a keyboard player for me, and to me, like, it's hard to be both. It's hard to be a Howard Jones or a Gary Newman, or you know. If you it's could not sing, easy. though, wouldn't you want to sing your own lyric? You, you know, it would be if you could actually sing. I understand when it's sort of say like a, um, oh, what's an example? Like Brian Eno or uh, like um. What's his name that used to write for um, Elton John? Bernie, Bernie Taupin. Yeah. In in yeah in his situation where he's not particularly a singer, he's only a lyricist. You can see why he hands it over. But Vince could actually sing, so it's interesting, isn't it, to sort of recognise that somebody else is stronger than you and to hand those songs over. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's, it's, it's a team player, you know. If yeah. you've got a band and a unit and you want it to be successful, mm. you may have to go, I'm really shit at that and I'm yeah. going to have to stand back and let someone else come in. Um, that's actually a really good musician as far as yeah. I'm concerned that can see the difference. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's true. It would be true. like me learning guitar, like Madonna and fucking playing on my own tour. She shouldn't be playing guitar. No one cares. <laughs> You know, well, but it's a different scenario. <laughs> she, she probably should stop stop singing and playing guitar. She should stop putting photos up Instagram too. Someone that's needs fucking horrible. to. Oh, her daughter needs to come in and just delete all her accounts, don't they? I know. Jesus. Poor Madge. Because I remember being about 14 when I heard people are people. People are yeah. people. It was kind of like a nursery rhyme in a way. Yeah, so I can see yeah. why they think it's a little bit naff. Yeah, yeah. But it was what I resonated with because it was so – it basically said people are people, so why should it be you and I should get along so yeah. awfully? We yeah. wanted to know why we were not getting along. It was this scenario that started to happen in the world. Yeah. Um, and it was the truth that we hadn't heard before. Yeah. Do you know I used to think the lyric when I was a little boy, I used to think the lyric was you and I together in an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
you and, and I, I together in an, an orphanage. Boom, boom, How boom. great. Pretty sexy Next, orphanage. Depeche Mode, the theatre show about the orphanage. <laughs> yeah, Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You Beats thought Annie was out good? Annie. Watch out. I know, yeah. right? If you love Danny, you'll love people of <laughs> <are> people. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. You know what? That should be in that lyric book, which is <laughs> yes. another episode we should do, the misheard lyrics. Fuck we should yes. really do, yeah. I made a list that today with some good ones. That would I made be great. A list. I'll add that. We should think about that maybe for our birthday Fuck episode. Yeah. Maybe for you our know? birthday episode. Yeah. We've got some great episodes coming up, guys, so keep listening in. Yes. It is next it's week our or the birthday week next week. Yeah, That's one right. year. Yeah. Fucking hell, mate. If you had told me I'd be in a fuck middle of a pandemic in a year, I would have oh, topped myself. I know, myself. right? We thought we were going overseas. We were going to tour. <laughs> All this great stuff we was were. happening. <sighs> and now we're in fucking our house. Oh, we're getting the fucking house renovated. We've got nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, you might as well. Yeah. All right, so um, something really interesting was happening for them around this time. With um, People of People, Master and, um, Master and Servant, with the album Some Great Reward because they started getting airplay in the US but yeah. it wasn't so much the mainstream stations. It was the college stations and the modern rock stations that were picking up these tracks like K-Rock in LA. Um, and these stations really appeal to the alternative crowd. Mm. So mm. in the US they were they were – picked up by the alternative crowd, which was completely different to how they were perceived in England and across Europe because they were they were like teen idols, you know. They were like mm. – they were, they were growing out from being a teeny bopper band that had made good, you know. So it was mm. very, very different, which I think is very interesting. It's sort of um, – uh, that's something I love about the, the 80s is that localization. You don't get that these days. Everything's no. sort of global, you know. Mm. But um, – they actually, the band would actually go behind the Iron Curtain for the first time in 85 and they would play in Budapest and Warsaw and this this became, this was a really important factor for these guys because they could slip under the radar a little bit because they weren't sort of, they weren't like big masculine, you know, hyper hyper English or hyper American looking dudes that sort of threw off this macho vibe where a communist country would be threatened by that, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, this is like, you know, this is Western capitalism coming in. We can't let them come in. So the, the um, Depeche would go under the radar a little bit and they would actually – play in a lot of these communist countries that the bigger bands wouldn't have access to. And they loved it as well. They loved them. They loved them because it was sort of – it was a bit of like a portal to the outside world for these countries and Mm. and they they – they fucking loved them. Mm. Like the people, the people in these communist countries or even socialist countries, really, really loved them. They, they, they just soaked them up, you know, um, because yeah, Depeche was sort of a little bit soft and vulnerable, and and they were were sort of not a threat, you know. But um, so yeah, while they were while they were breaking the US, they were simultaneously. 
going into these communist countries, which is incredible. But they they um, mute at this point because they were breaking the US and going into a lot of these new countries. Uh, mute Records released a compilation album called The Singles Yeah. Um, in 85 while they were touring and it was called Catching Up With Depeche Mode in the US because, yeah, the audience were getting to know them in terms of everything that they'd done before. And it was this album, The Singles, that had um, Shake the Disease as, yeah. a, as a single. Um, and I fucking love that song. Alan... Alan Wilder says that Shake the Disease is like the quintessential Depeche Mode song. It sort mm. of sums up sums up in sound, in lyric, in tone, everything that Depeche Mode is about. It sort of sits right in the middle of that 80s period. And, you know, they could have called the song Understand Me, which is like the, you know, the, the, the lyrical hook. But they didn't. They call it Shake the Disease. So this is sort of like another clue about Depeche Mode. They would always go for the alternative. They'd go for the they'd go for the interesting angle rather than the obvious angle. And it's a bit like what we're going through now. We want to shake the disease, don't we? Yeah, I'd fucking, fucking shake anything. Coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. I'd shake. I'd shake Corona. Yeah, I'd no, shake up true. this. No, that's true. I'd shake up this juice. Fuck it out, man. Fucking, I'd give anything <laughs> a nice shake at juice. the moment. Well, that's exactly right. And I know that they held a competition in the US um, when they first started to break with the radio station for some of the fans to jump in a bus and tour with them. Oh, um, wow. And they picked about 10 fans, I think. And I remember seeing an interview where one of these fans. He went to go back off the bus to get his VHS videos and he saw his girlfriend shagging his best friend but didn't give a fuck, walked into the room and kissed him goodbye because he was on the bus with Depeche Mode. Oh, so my God. the fact that they excited their fans so much and really let them into their world was incredible as well. Yeah. Because Depeche Sammy, can Mode... You see, yes, can I you can. see Maddie? I'm sorry yes. to interrupt. Yes, Oh, I you can, can see him? Yes. Uh, he's got, got a sexy lingerie on his face. Yes, yes. But you it's know called, he's awake. It's the coronavirus. So when, you know, yeah, it's the mask of the century. Yeah, it's his new mask. In fact, I'll give you a hundred bucks to walk through the fucking supermarket like that. Someone, I'm going to take a screenshot and fucking put it on the on the social media. <laughs> Undies for masks. Yeah, Dick Nose has got it. a. Dick Nose has got lingerie on his face. Well, That's if very it works, pretty. it is. I'm sorry I interrupted you there. No, I can't even remember what I was saying, babe. But um, I do remember that because uh, we were gonna, we were gonna sort of eventually get to Spirit, the new DVD that's out. Um, yeah. And talk a little bit about that. But um, yes. so we've hit the US, and then 1986 we have Black Celebration. That's right. That's mm. right. Awesome fucking album. This was Incredible. a huge shift. Well, not a huge shift in sound, but a shift definitely. Um, they were still using samples uh, mm. and had that industrial tone, therefore. But their their sound became very atmospheric because they were they were exploring synth effects rather than you know um, samplers. Yeah, um, and their lyrics and became darker as well. 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah, so they um, they would have really grabbed those alternative audiences that they had started oh. to appeal to. Yeah, exactly. This, this, yeah, this for me is this for me is where my my love for them my love for them began. You know, mm. is mm. is the, at this point with with mm. Black Celebration, and. It's it's like even with the name, it's a conscious effort to go in that direction. Yeah. If you if you listen to their origins with Vince and and what he was writing and you know what Vince would write for Depeche, what he would write for Yazoo, what he'd write for Erasure, it's upbeat. It's very light. It's very light. Yeah. All that stuff. He you wanted know? to go the pop train. Very very boppy, very dancey and yep. light. Um, yeah. And this definitely a departure from that at this stage. So, yeah. you know, this would have been this would have been a little clue into what separated them as well. But um, on this album was the single "Stripped." I fucking love it. How about Incredible. you? Incredible. I love it. Love it, babe. Yeah. I love the lyrics. I love everything about it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Really sexy intro. Um, you can hear all the darker undertones. Actually, uh, Ramstein, you know the, you know the, are they German, German. metal band? Yeah. Yep. Um, they, they covered this. They covered this ah. um, years down the track. Um, but the the I was listening to the I was listening to the intro, and the the samples that they use is actually a mix of Dave Gunn's Porsche sounds of his Porsche and. They've slowed down an idling um, motorcycle engine, yep. so that's what those percussive like doom 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 doom. That's what those percussive points are. Yeah, is the is the motorbike idling? Is the engine idling? Yeah, I fucking love that. And then mm. and then later in the song, they they sample fireworks as well. So um, they're yeah still using the samples, but sort of more effective in a way. Yeah, I love that song. And isn't he on a motorbike in that song? Or someone rides a motorbike? So. In, in the clip? Yeah. Yeah, in the clip. Yeah. And I, I did want to touch on the guy that did their clips, Anton, who was a big part of the band and a very good friend of David. He did mm. um, a lot of the tracks and he did a lot of the artwork. Oh, the clips the, you're talking yeah, about, the video clips. the clips, clips yeah. the cover work. And Anton was such a great photographer and a music video director. That's right. Um, also did U2, Echo and the Bunny Man. Um, yeah. But he did enjoy the silence and stuff like that. So he's done all their stuff. And I remember f- thinking the artwork is so incredible with this music to go with it, you know. Yeah. I think yeah. if the artwork hadn't have been there, we wouldn't have delved into that emotion as much. It was yeah. a visual yeah. thing as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. To, to be honest... In terms of the album artwork and stuff, I don't like the album covers before Black Celebration, um, except for Speak and Spell. I think that's an incredible album cover. That red, that red and white fucking al- you know, amazing. Especially considering that's their debut album. But um, everything from Anton Corbin onwards, visually, is is fucking incredible. Yeah, because um, he did he did come up with the fact that he wanted them not to be seen some of the time to keep that mystery there, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Um, so he would go on. Anton would actually do over twenty clips yeah. for these guys. Yeah, mm. yeah. Incredible. He's sort of like a. It's the guy who did all of Inexcess's um, clips, and Hutch was in his movie. Oh, Richard, Richard Lowenstein. Yeah. Oh my there God. How go. can we forget that? Dogs in space. But he he used to do a lot of you know he they he was their like their videographer for continuing throughout their career. Um, similar to this guy Anton. But yeah. um, uh, fun fact. Yeah. Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails said that this album Black Celebration helped him write. Pretty Hate Machine. Right. Um, he's, that, I he's, uh, totally not, get that. A Nine Inch Nails debut album um, with the the single Head Like a Hole. You might remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually came out in 1989. So there you go. Nine Inch Nails had an 80s release. I didn't realise that. I thought they were solidly like a 90s. I mean, they are. They're, they're, an, <laughs> they're a fundamental 90s act. But but this first album was released in 89. And yep. um, and it was Depeche who was, was his, I, I guess, one of the driving influences for the album, for the first album. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of keyboard players that have were so inspired by these guys and because they never had a drummer for a long time. It was just three keyboards and a guitar, you know, or two keyboards and a guitar. Yeah. The drum yeah. the drummer's only been sort of since ninety five that's come in and he's a fucking incredible drummer too, that yeah. guy. Um but yeah, we Black Celebration I think is a lot of people's favourite album. We'd stripped, we've got Question of Times on there as well and it was a lot darker. Uh, yeah, so it was an incredible album. But then we go on to 1987. Hang on. Can I just run to the toilet? Yeah, go for it, baby. Hang on. Maybe we'll, you know what seconds. we're going to do? We'll do a commercial break. How about we do that? All right, lovely. Yeah, we'll do a commercial break. Oh, I've actually got to go to the toilet too and we'll see you very soon. Hey, guys out there listening. Let's all go to the toilet, all That's right? That's right. Except if you're in the car. Don't piss yourself. Pull Don't over. piss in the car. That's piss right. Piss next to the car, even yeah. if you're on the highway. That's fine. And we'll all piss Let's together. Let's all have and we'll a synchronised toilet break. Enjoy the ad. That broccoli sure looks good to me. Your pumpkin mum is something to believe. And as for that potato, I've never tasted greater. You ought to be congratulated. Your cherry pie's the apple of my eye. Your chocolate cake would make a grown man cry. And I must say, you sconza, absolutely bonza. You ought to be congratulated. It's not what you make, it's how you make it. The proof of the pudding's in the tasting. Your garlic bread is said to be a spish. And as kebabs are up there with the best No one else can do a barbie quite like you You ought to be You ought to be You ought to be congratulated All right Dad's Dad's kebabs kebabs are up there with the best Yes they are Fuck, tell you what, Dad could skewer a bit of meat and some veggies, couldn't he? Oh, mate, that makes me hungry watching that shit. (laughs) Bloody hell, because I don't eat that stuff anymore, but 
margarine, mate, Meadow Lee, was huge. And it's a good tie-in with um, isolation as well because people are cooking so much more. That's right. But I doubt they'd be using Meadow Lee in the cooking. Still big Meadow Lee. You do see it in the supermarket. Yeah. You know, they make their garlic bread and stuff. But that was a very good jingle. Very it's Australian, like wasn't it? You don't you don't see advertise. Actually, margarine was very eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very eighties. We, we went like out of the butter to, phase. That's right. Get get people away from butter, and you know, the cholesterol started rearing its head. So people had it to be fucking careful. did absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You eat that shit, your cholesterol is going to go through the roof, unless it's the one that's low in cholesterol. That's right. But it's a good ad. We love that one. So all our um, international viewers would love to hear that. Bit of the that Aussie, Aussie accent, accent and a, and a jingle. I wonder who that guy was. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to pick it. Sounds like Maury fucking Fields. It yeah, sounds like the dad from grad. the Sullivans. Oh, yeah. You know? What was his yeah. name? Um, the one that makes the face in the photo at the start of the show. Pulls that stupid face. No, the Sullivans, you know, the old bastard. Yeah, that was um, – but the, Hey Hey Saturday used to take that photo off, remember? Him and Ozzy and they used uh, to stand yeah. there and pull that stupid face. It was very funny. Uh, Can't remember his name though. Yeah. Good commercial nah, though. Be fucked if I can remember. All right. Maddie's got a good commercial for next week by the looks of it. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, do remember well, that one. Yeah, we're not doing that now, so let's go on with it. I, I, do, <laughs> I do remember that one, actually. That is a good we ad. Can, we can do All that right. one next. Awesome. So we're up to album number six or at least studio album number six. 87, yeah. Which came out in 87. Music for the masses. Love it. Absolutely enormous. The singles mm. were Strange Love, Never Let Me Down Again, mm-hmm. which... One of my favourites. One of my favourite Depeche Mode songs. It would probably be in my top three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was such a – we resonated with that because we were going through periods of friendships where they were letting us down, you know. People were going, oh, that guy didn't come out with me to go to the fucking pinball parlour. He didn't come and fucking let me down. I was riding (laughs) my bike. That kind of resonated, you know. Yeah. With a lot yeah. of people. Um, and they were good at that. They were good at explaining people's insanity or their fucking habits, you know? What they were good at was was sort of teasing apart very specific emotions. So they, they it's like Martin Gore sort of went into very specific uh, examples of things that had happened and... and wrote about those things. I mm. think a, 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 what the, the downfall of pop music is it because they're trying to appeal to a larger group of people, the writing itself lyrically becomes very general because they very. don't want to like yeah, they don't want to rule right. anybody out, you know. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah. And they they want they don't want to talk about stuff that they think is so simple because it won't and that's what music for the masses was about, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It that's was almost right. like a, um, and like a reverse psychology of 
well, will it be or won't it be? You yeah, know? yeah, very good point. That's awesome. They also had uh, Behind the Wheel on this album. Um, the, the singles didn't do great in the UK, but they did in the rest of Europe. Um, mm. You know, consistently sort of in uh, top 10 and top 20 counts across Europe. But the album itself made a huge breakthrough in the US. Huge yeah. breakthrough. Um, they, they performed later in the year, in, in uh, sorry, the following year, in 88, they performed at the MTV VMAs, the Video Music Awards. Um, so this would be their first time performing on a major US awards and you imagine the, you imagine this exposure that they would have got from that. Mm. This was a very big year and time for them, 87 coming into 88. Do you remember what um, they did on that, babe? Uh, I do, yeah. They did um, with this with this tour, with the subsequent tour, the Music for the Masses tour, they would um, tour the US. They actually performed at the Pasadena Rose Bowl and I think they, they looked at the Rose Bowl first of all. They looked when they sort of, when they were playing and they, they're bumping in and they're about to sound check and everything. They're looking at the fucking Rose Bowl thinking, how the fuck are we going to feel this? We're going to feel it. Yeah, I remember yeah. them saying that. Yeah. yeah. And um, they actually packed it out. It was actually yeah. the largest crowd that they had had for something like eight years. Um, and this is, this is comparing them to huge acts. Huge acts. Mm. Um, they... What did they do on the TV show though? What album was it? Was it the song "Never Let Me Down" or "Strange Love"? What did they actually do? Oh, they on did the "Strange awards? Love" yep, on okay. at the uh, VMAs. Yeah, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, when they played Rose Bowl, over sixty thousand people came. Yeah. Um, and they actually captured the concert footage. A guy called D. A. Pennebaker captured the concert footage, and this was their first sort of concert film. And they called it, it would be a live album as well. So this, they released it as a concert film and their first live album. And it was called 101. Mm. So guys out there, go and watch 101. You will be watching Depeche Mode at like the height of their powers, you know. Mm. The, it is incredible, this footage. They, um, they called it 101. I think it, was, I think it was Wilder that actually came up with... Um, the title 101 because it was their 100 and 101st gig in that tour. Wow. Um, so they, you know, so decent fucking tour. You know, that's a that's a yeah. solid, solid tour there. And um, I think they were surprised as well by the reaction. <laughs> it's just like really exploding considering they hadn't had – a number one hit in the US or anything like that. You know, they're having this like major, major success. Um, and go and watch the go and watch the 101 um, concert film. It's I find it very similar to In Excess playing Wembley. Right. Um, okay. With with Dave Garner in the complete sort of white outfit and he him like waving his arms. Oh, I have seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I kind of think Hutchie based a lot of his moulding on Dave a little bit. Yeah, both of them sort of look towards Bowie, you know. But they, yeah, yeah. they would have been looking towards each other, definitely. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I, he, I just remember thinking Hutchie was a little bit Dave as well yeah. as the doors and shit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, um, Dave's a little bloke. They're all quite petite. They're all quite oh, petite, right. petite in, in Depeche. Um, yeah. But he has a very big stage persona. He based his stage persona initially on Dave Vanian from The Damned, the, the, the band The Damned. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he sort of takes on this very different persona on stage, and you, you would have seen it. You would have seen it in the in the spirit um, uh, in the yeah. spirit doco. Yeah. Now that's an interesting dynamic between crowd and stage. It's yes. almost like a power plug situation where you plug in the fucking crowd, and if they take you on this ride, you feel like you are fucking like on the Titanic, man, and yeah. you are. Yeah. You you just you can perform any way you want to because the crowd are eating you up and I think that's a lot to do with the fans and the fans love Depeche so much yeah. musically that Dave is in his such he's in his power, you know. I've yeah. never quite yeah. seen a front man in their power as much as Dave and enjoying the fuck out of it, you know. Yeah, and giving gotcha. giving as well. Not just taking, giving mm. to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very generous. Very generous as a performer. And it's sort of he he um prowls the stage and stomps around like like um what's his name from the Rolling Stones? Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger Mick, a little bit, yeah. Very yeah. Jagger. Very kind yeah. of camp and um yeah. all all of his joints are sort of bent and you know, like very yeah. <laughs> very See, Jagger. I, I love in that his way. I love his windmill he does when he spins around with his arms with out. His like dick. that's yeah, with his dick. Oh god, I wish. Um <laughs> Uh, I bet yeah, Matty no, can, can do the windmill. He'd have oh. to go outside though. He'd fucking cause some Apparently. damage inside. Well, it's the <laughs> way the wang mill, Matty. Yeah. You know how he puts his arms out and does the big spin and I yeah. love that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we'll just touch on that movie because it did just come out recently, Spirit, um, the movie, that Spirit in the Forest. Go for um, it. I had a look at that because a friend of mine was on Facebook going, this is incredible, you need to see it. So I brought Prime and this has started a whole Prime thing with us. But I did watch that and I found it incredible how music is still so powerful with their fans and Mm. we don't see that anymore. And the spirit of the human race, the spirit of these people, they may not be rich, they may not be well even, they may be... You know, they may have health issues or whatever. It's yeah. Depeche Mode that's getting them through this kind of stuff or a divorce or anything. And exactly. I found it really, really it made me feel better about music again almost. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, it reminds you what it's like to be a fan. It yeah. reminds you what it's like to um, – have that band so, so close to your heart that it's, you know, that band and that music is one of the things that defines you, you know. you mm. um, Sammy's talking, of course, about the the uh, concert video for Spirit. It's called Live Spirit um, and it was just released. It's only just been released. It was released this year. And um, go and check it out. Go and check it out. You know, you think you're going to be watching – 
You think you're going to be watching a concert. A live gig. A concert yeah. film of Depeche, which would be great. What you end up watching is a documentary of people's lives because it takes you through all these fans. And they're not nuts. They're not no, they're crazy not. fucking no. fanatic. You know, they're not they're not crazy people, although like those people would be out there. These are just normal people that love Depeche Mode and they're they're talking about their lives, but as they're talking about their lives, they're they're essentially talking about how Depeche Mode have carried them through tough times. Yeah, that's right. It's absolutely amazing. And, and the thing is it's about the fans, which is a really interesting documentary that a band wouldn't usually do either. Yeah, that's like right. usually it'd be about the band, and and then you've got you know Liz from Los Angeles who's just gone through cancer three times, and yeah. you know she's got this rare form of cancer, and and then you've got the the two little kids that don't see their dad, and they start this DMK together, and they yeah. become a viral success. And I and I remember Maddie showing me this little group of kids and their dad, and it's just incredible. And I'm I was wondering how they would have cast that because if you see they're standing with each with each other at the concert as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought maybe they all – I'm sure they would all know each other. They would all know each other. And but, but what I think is amazing is how obviously the band knows these people as That's well. That's right. You yeah. know, um, yeah. and, and the filmmaker has sort of reached out to these guys specifically because they've got incredible stories, you know. Mm. And this is, this is one great thing actually in the modern age is that we can – it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing in the way that we can have direct contact with our fans. Like if you're a muso, you can have direct contact with your fans and they have a profound effect on your life just mm. as you do them, you know. Mm. Um, and what I found incredible was the woman, the French woman, remember? Mm. The French woman who she had a car accident when she was 25 and had complete amnesia. She never, she never remembered a thing before she was twenty, uh, before she was twenty five, and so essentially she started her life as she knew it from twenty five onwards. Yeah, but wasn't it that she could remember Depeche Mode songs though? Was that the situation where she couldn't remember her mum, but she could remember Depeche Mode songs? She could not remember a thing. She could not remember her parents, any previous relationships yeah. she, she had had. But she could remember Depeche Mode. Yeah, that's right. That Isn't is the that power incredible? of music, mate. That yeah, is the yeah, power yeah, yeah. of music. Absolutely. And yeah. their fans are who they are. Like their fans have been so fucking gracious towards them and they go to all their gigs and they're, they're not crazies. They actually can have an argument as fans and say, well, I think this album's better and I think this album's better and not get all fucking catty about it and yeah. actually have discussions about it yeah, and how yeah. they feel emotionally about certain albums. They're yeah. kind of real adult fans, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that they pass this on to their kids and now the kids are playing instruments and, and you know, like Liz's son was playing, I think it was guitar or bass and stuff like that. And I think we don't see that anymore. I think Kiss was the only band I know of where the kissy kids come up against, you know, like the, you know, like Bates is a Kiss fan and all his kids are Kiss fans. Like it's not – there's not many bands where they come up 
as, you know, the kids are into the music as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's a, it's an interesting thing where when families are into bands like that, they're yeah. into the same bands like that um, because it makes them all the same age. The mums That's and dads right. are the same age as the children. You know, they, they all become teenagers. You know, it, it's, it's something really interesting. It's really, really beautiful. I love yeah. that. And it's such yeah. a connection to have with your parents that you'll never forget either. That's you right. Know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we should just touch on, I know it's a 1990 album, but we should touch on Violator. Well, look, they started recording in 89. So let's go for it. Yeah, we'll polish yeah, off with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So their seventh album, their seventh studio album released in 1989 is Violator. Mm. Your favourite, Fantastic. Babe? Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely favourite album from this, from the 80s period. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's sort of, um, they recorded this in Milan with the producer Flood, is the single name Flood. Um, the first single, would, which was released in 89, first single was Personal Jesus. Wow. Love Personal it. Jesus, they, um, the way that they promoted this initially, you know, because you think it's, they can do whatever they like. They can, they can do whatever they like. They've released fucking seven albums in ten years. They would get bored fucking the usual way of promoting stuff. <clears throat> the, the way that they promoted this single was putting a personals column in the paper that said, your own personal Jesus, which was a lyric from the song. And people, it just sort of sp- started sparking interest. Mm. And then in a subsequent ad, they had your own personal Jesus and they had a phone number and people would actually ring the phone number to think, you know, what the fuck is this about? And the mm. song would play. The song would play wow, down the phone. Wow, what a great yeah. thing. I fucking love that. I love that. I know. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I know that Andy wasn't too keen on this track being released. He was a little bit scared that it wouldn't work. Mm. Um, and they said, shut up, we're releasing it. Um, but Andy was a little bit touch and go with personal Jesus because I guess it was going to hit. It was a bit religious, you know, and a bit sort of... I don't Hitting know, a religious tone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a bit funny about it, but huge single for them. Yeah, absolutely. This was uh, their biggest single in the US since Pe- People Are People. And is this where he sits in the deck chair with the king hat on? on I the don't cliff? know this clip. I'm not familiar oh, with this okay. clip. I'm pretty sure Anton directed this and he sits in the deck chair on the hill with the King Helm, maybe I'm wrong, but um, such really good visionary, like really good visuals from this yeah. video. Absolutely, know. absolutely. Um, so the, the the single itself, Personal Jesus, has been covered by Tori Amos, I believe, Marilyn yeah. Manson. Manson yep. released this, remember? Johnny Cash as well. Johnny, I like Johnny Cash's version. Yeah. Because it's yeah. something you don't expect him to do. But when you hear him sing it, you're like, yeah, I, I understand. You know, I, I get this. I can see what he's seen in this. Um, and Sammy Hagar, which is your, your namesake, yeah. Sammy Hagar. Yeah, I know. I read that. Yeah. How so great. A lot of guys, a lot of people have, have covered this song. Um, it's fucking great song, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, we've Fucking done it live. You've done song. it. Yeah, oh, you've heaps. done it live. Yeah, it's, heaps. It's huge. Yeah, Probably the best yeah. thing to come out of that fucking shit band we're in. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, tell the story about the production of that backing track that the fucking goon did. Uh, it's very okay. funny. Yeah. So we used to play in this other band <laughs> and although we were really good, although, we, you know. We were we, very good. Yeah, we were very good. The management and was a bit And very good shit. friends. Yeah we, yeah, we loved each other. The management was a bit shit. He was um, a bit shit. And a bit of a crook. And yes. so and and he sort of cut corners and was a bit crap. So he would do this sort of he would do the production in terms of the backing tracks and shit, which if you were doing like big um, big production numbers from the eighties, you would need to have a bit of a, a backing track. We we mm. wouldn't have we wouldn't have vocals or anything like that on it, but um, um, yeah, some there were would. vocals on it eventually yeah, yeah, when we some left. Some people yeah. would. They were not all that, ours. Not that, yeah, yeah they were. Fuck they it were. Up. I've watched oh, them now and I'm like, that's me. my fucking voice. It's yeah. like, why are you doing that, you idiot? You know. Oh. He used to pay himself thousands of dollars to reproduce these tracks, by the yes. way, too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they yeah. weren't so he, worth. They weren't worth twenty dollars. Yeah. So he would pinch money out of our wage to that's pay right. himself for producing these shit fucking tracks, right? Yeah. So the Personal Jesus backing track, the per, <laughs> the, the, person, the the song Personal Jesus has in the bridge this little sample of, of breaths and it's like... <laughs> and it's yeah. like that. I don't know if you could hear that, but that was a shit yeah. version of it. But nah. it's like kind of like sharp inhaling and exhaling like that. It's not this a bunch cunt, of monkeys. Yeah, this cunt, when he was doing the backing track, he went on there. <laughs> we were like, what's he doing? And when yeah. you hear it isolated, he'd be going, like a fucking monkey. Exactly. It wasn't that. We fucking couldn't believe it. Oh. We were like, why would you do that? And he was happy with putting that out there because that's Mm. what he was like. And it went, ooh, 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 ah, 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 ooh, 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 ah. It was like we could have had that fucking monkey game from the 80s in the barrel. Remember the barrel? It used to remind me where you pulled the monkeys out of the barrel, that toy. Oh. You know, was it? Yeah, it was like, like you got their tails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that game every time I heard it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fucking monkey. But anyway, that's our personal Jesus story. But hell, mate. Every time it would go up on stage, it was really loud in the mix as well, I think, from memory. Yeah, yeah. And fucking it's, horrible. Um, we never used to play the outro, but the outro to Personal Jesus is the best bit of the song. It's fucking yeah. great. It's yeah. um it's um non-lyrical, it's just instrumental, but it has this great outro. So so get around it, guys. But um the other single from the other big single from this album, um, which will be the last one that we're covering for today, mm-hmm. um, will be Enjoy the Silence. Enjoy yes, the silence went to, yeah, it went to number eight in the US. The album itself went to number seven. Uh, went ended up going triple platinum in the US, which is amazing. Um, mm. And they had a signing to promote this album in LA, and twenty thousand people turned up. Wow! Um, uh, and there was a riot, like 
fans were injured, you know, which isn't great. But they, I, they, they, it's like they didn't realise at this time how popular what they were and how voracious their fans were. How you know yeah. how they meant everything to their fans. Yeah. Um, they had a subsequent tour with this album, which was called the World Violation Tour, um, and it sold out within hours. They broke the merch record at Giant Stadium at the time um, for over bands like U2, Bon Jovi, big ones. Yeah. And, and people were still getting their head around the name Depeche Mode and they broke the merch. Like if you're buying merch, you're a super fan. You know, you're like you're a, you're a fucking hardcore fan. You don't That's buy right. merch as a pedestrian, I don't think. No. No, you don't. That's true. So there you go. So I will clarify, Enjoy the Silence was where he's in the deck chair dressed as the king. Oh, there we go. I get those two mixed up. But, yeah, he was – I love that visual. I love it because it's something you see in England all the time are those deck chairs at Hyde Park and you've got to sort of hire them. Oh, yes. Yeah. It makes him look a little bit like he's sort of a misfit but it's really, really good imagery, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now, I reckon that's a – yeah, sorry, keep going. Enjoy the Silence was covered by Anne Boleyn and ah. Maddie and I Maddie and I in our band Night Version, we used to play Enjoy the Silence as well. We used to love this track. Yeah. Yeah. Where was Anne Boleyn from? I think they're American. I think they're okay. an American – I think they're yeah. an emo band. So these guys – you know, because they ca- because they carried right through, and 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 similar once again in respects to the Cure, they they had a big influence on emo bands. Mm. So um, yeah, they they would have a massive effect on uh, younger bands coming through that really looked up to these guys and saw them as electronic uh, electronic forefathers, similar to Gary Newman or. Craftwork, or you know, yeah, so that they were really important on that electronic scene, definitely. Incredible! Um, what a great episode! I fucking love this. I could. Talk, I love it. If, if we could, if we could break, if we could break ranks and talk about their '90s period, I fucking would, because it's yeah. just as strong. And I just encourage everybody out there to go and have a look at the um, 90s catalogue for these guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a really, really productive period. Um, Songs of Faith and Devotion is an incredible album. You've got Ultra and you've got Exciter. um, And that takes you up to uh, the year 2000. Um, And they were incredible albums as well. And they had a profound effect on me. Um, so mm. you guys, you guys, please go seek them out. Like, listen, you know, go, go on iTunes, go on Spotify, just play Depeche Mode right the way through. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it for yourself. Fucking play Absolutely. it to yourself. It'll go straight to your heart. It really will. And, and and just you know, look look at the new DVD they've got out or the Blu-ray or whatever. Uh, Spirit is Spirit. incredible. Um, and it is about the human spirit, I think. I think it's got a lot to do with that. But, you know, I didn't realise they'd put out that much stuff in the 80s. Like, there weren't many bands doing that, were there, really? 
Yeah, yeah. It was only really only every three or four years. These guys were bang, 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 you know, you know straight what, you out. You know what's incredible as well? We haven't talked a lot about their lives. We haven't talked a lot about we didn't know anything them getting about married, breaking up, nah, fucking nah. scandal, this and that. And these guys, especially Dave, the lead singer, they had massive dr- they had massive drug problems. You know, yeah. they had they, they were sort of um uh, and um, you know, I'm not talking about like a bit of coke. They they, they were like heroin addicts, you know. Yeah, they you know? Were. They yeah. actually say I'm a heroin addict and stuff yeah. in in interviews. They yep. had this level of productivity and brilliance throughout that period, and I think, mm. I think, because now and then, now and then, the, you know, those scandals would get out a little bit, um, and you think, oh, okay, so what have they done in the eighties apart from uh, just can't get enough and people are people. You know, they were extremely productive. You've got to sort mm. of explore, especially. The period between 85 and 90. Yeah. People out there, go for it. Yeah. Listen to those albums. But l- look, listen to it all. They're incredible. They're an amazing band. I've had the time of my life talking about these guys. Yeah, I know. Well, that's <laughs> it. We have done really well from uh, 1980. I mean, it's been 40 years, like we said at the start of the show. Um, the guys all live separately. One lives in London, one lives in Santa Barbara, the other one lives in New York. So they still keep the band together and it's amazing that today's technology, you can do that. And yep. they probably need that space from each other as well, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, being together for 40 years, you'd have to fucking run away, wouldn't you? Gotcha. Into the forest, the forest. After knowing each other from like 18 years old, fuck yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but now, Sammy, I've yeah. got to give credit. I've got to give credit where credit's due. Right. You were right about something last week and I've got to bring it to light. What? Tim Capello when? is Tina Turner's saxophonist. Ah, you as well As well That's as so being funny. his own kind of entity. Right. So okay, there you go. Because... I was – we're talking about last week's episode, The Lost Boys, for those of you listening. I, I sort of thought during the week, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but fuck, he's exactly the same as yes. Tina Turner's saxophone player. And he was the only Buffy one out at the, at that time. Yeah. Um, but okay, so what, did you look into it or – It was niggling at me. I was like – Yeah. It was niggling at me. I was like, fuck, maybe she's right. And I thought of – because I didn't – in terms of us talking about him, I didn't want him to go down in history as Tina Turner's saxophonist and, you know, because he had his own career, you know. But uh, sure enough, I, I went and had a look in and you were right. I've got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, yeah, definitely had the same mannerisms and everything. And, um, no, that was a great episode. Thank you for everyone that's listened to that and sent us messages about the Lost Boys at the drive-ins. People have loved it. We'll be um, back there, won't we? We will be because we're in lockdown now in Melbourne, Australia. So we will look back at this and go, what the fuck happened in 2020? But we've had the fires in Australia now. We've had lockdown. So we're back for six weeks. We'll just look back and laugh, won't we? I know. <laughs> I actually love oh, being so, at home. 
Oh, I'm happy. it's funny, isn't it? It's I'm funny. I'm happy to be at home and oh. just be whatever. I like, know. There's no competition. No. There's no fucking promotion. There's no I gigs. I love it. You know, yeah. there's no gigs. So there's no competition. There's no gigs. Your income's sort of halved. That's right. The it's, only thing oh, I'm doing at funny. the moment is Wentworth, which is oh. keeping you sane and this. But we yes. laughed, didn't we? It's, I know. We did oh, laugh. God, I laughed. Um, but I what laughed a when I couldn't go outside with without oh. getting fucking arrested. I laughed True. when I I laughed when I sat in the park today and I felt guilty that I was going to yeah. get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got pulled up by the cops on the way to Wentworth. So yeah, I was wanking. Really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always a nice thing to do in the park. <laughs> But, you uh, know, that was big in the 80s to wank in front of little girls and boys. <laughs> I wasn't wanking in front of children. <laughs> oh, oh they sorry. Were, they were I know, all I didn't, adults. Not that I was, yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, but it was just a big thing in the 80s to get on the train and, and get a bit of a dick flash, you know. Streakers were huge in the 80s. Streakers. But, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We can't wank or cough on yeah, anyone at the sperm. moment. it was sperm. It wasn't mucus. God, settle yeah. down. Exactly. That should be okay. <laughs> oh, God, Christ. this one's wrapped up well, hasn't it? Sorry, Depeche Mode. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is our usual show. We've been really good up until now, but yes. look, we've just got to let it out, guys. Yeah, that's right. There's got to yeah. be a penis and a vagina joke somewhere in long that's lines. Right. Exactly. Mm, exactly. But I did get, I did get, fucking, what did they call it? Um, in the eighties, where. We're used to streakers, yeah, streakers or what were they yes. called? Flashes. 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 I had more flashes than I've got through fucking menopause. I tell you what, in the 80s it was full on. Fucking half your luck. Oh. Did you see any big ones? Oh, flashes and flushes are different. That's right. Yeah, sorry, Maddie's just brought that to my attention. That's where my head goes Did to, you though. see any big ones, Sammy, and go, Well, Buddy. I was so oh. nervous when that Wouldn't used to happen. Wouldn't actually mind. We did, we did. I Look, I didn't really look at that at school. I this think is here. So uniform. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was this like, is right here. So, fucking hell. And you're right there, so. Horrible. Train stations you know, you could, was the fucking worst. You could wrap your laughing gear around this if you wanted to. Or, and you know I the worst know. thing about it was you couldn't tell your yet. parents. You couldn't tell your parents because they wouldn't let you go to the station again. And you desperately want to go back. And to you see want if to go out. Again. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 never. Never, you've, ever you've did I want to see it. quite a bit of that, haven't you? Like dudes wanking on the train and all front the of time. You? All the time. All the time. It's that Scorpio ascendant that I have, which just. Looks That'll down be at it. That'll yeah, be they, it. They think it's, oh, she's just such a slut, it, you know? Yeah, it must be that. All right. And I, I did have a look at um, just going back. Uh, Dave Garn is a Torian, uh, which is all about the voice, all about the throat. Loves to sing, and he's also got an ascendant in Taurus, so everything was about his vocal. Because he did try and write there for a while, and they were kind of like, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe you should stay on the but bench. They were like, just sing, just sing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He don't did sort of. He does say that about himself that he tries to stay on the bench, and you know, I love him. I think they're great. Fucking awesome band. I hope you guys have enjoyed us talking about them. Are we going to yeah. do any shout-outs? I'd like to shout-out to Danielle Waite. 
up Ooh. in far north Queensland. Wow. Um, she's she's a very hardworking single mum who loves our show. And Great. she loved she loved our last episode about Lost Boys. She loves yep. the Lost Boys. Great. Yep. Yeah. Yes, that and, one's um, been going through the roof. And she messaged me during the week. So g'day Dan. G'day Danny. How you going? She's probably yeah. up there in Queensland having a great time. They're not in lockdown. She'll probably be out at a club rolling around on her own vomit. Absolutely. Lucky yeah. duck. Yeah. Lucky duck. I actually don't think I've had many. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a few people but they're the usual people I speak to. Just want to shout out to – oh, my God, I do need to shout out. We've had to cancel the commercial hotel this week uh, – which was going to be the 1st of August. We do apologise with this COVID thing. We're not going to be able to do gigs until October now it's looking. It will be lucky to even get there in October. But just a big shout-out to the Commercial Hotel Morang Morang people. Um, I've told them to all South listen to Morang. the podcast. South Morang, yep. And um, – I, I call them Meringue Meringue like Duran Duran kind of thing. And uh, thank you, guys. There was 893 people interested in that gig, 100 people coming. We used to get 680 at that gig. There is no way we're ever going to see that for many years. It's going to go down to about 200. They will be tickets sold. It's not going to be something you're going to be able to get into f- for free because the cum- the pubs are going broke. <laughs> the cunts are going broke. The cunts are going broke. Yeah, the cunts are going broke. <laughs> That's and I right. I think, um, I think I've got this theory as well about when gigs start up again. All your more sort of timid or a bit kind of, you know, impartial people who are a bit like, oh, I'm going to a, uh, I'm going to a, yes. you know, nightclub are going to stay yes. home now. So you're just going right. to have like a full crowd full of like fucking ah. crazies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're like that with us anyway, but they're going to be even worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially are. at South Meringue because they lose their shit there. Yeah, they know? do. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately we've had to cancel that. We've also had to cancel the PVH Hotel. That's not going to be happening. And the Cranburn RSL, which would have been a ripper. We could only fit probably 20 people in there anyway. But we've had to cancel a couple. So we do apologise, guys. It's going to happen. We've just got to keep everyone safe. But the one that is definitely going to happen is the one in um, Sale, Victoria. And I know we've got people in that area that listen all around Australia as well. That will be at the Wedge the Wedge Theatre in Sale in March next year. So you can look – you can find all that info on the 80smontage.com. Fantastic. That's and our chuck us a couple of dollars for Patreon, for God's oh, sake. Oh, why not? Come on board as a patron. If we're yeah. helping you through lockdown, if we're sort of just giving you a laugh during the week, you know, if you're putting the kids to bed and yeah. having a listen to our show or listening in the car, come on board as a patron. You can do it for as, for as little as a dollar. Dollar a month, mate. Yeah, dollar won't get you much, but ten bucks will get you extra episodes, which are piss funny. They are because we normally record them after normal episodes, which means we record them written off. Absolutely, maggot. We are legless. Yeah, yeah. So patreon.com. 
Yeah, that's you'll find that on the 80smontage.com. You just have to go on. You can join Apple Podcasts that we, you know, you can join Apple Subscribe because, you know, give give us a follow. Give us a share. Give us a like. Spotify as well. Please give us five stars. Give us a review. Actually, we went in the top 50 in the Bulgaria Spotify charts. I'm glad today. about that. I, I feel know. Like Bulgaria we've made love it. us. I, uh, g'day, Bulgaria. I know you yeah. probably don't say g'day, Bulgaria, but g'day, Bulgaria. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> that's the first right. time that statement's ever been made in history. G'day, Absolutely. Bulgaria. And g'day. I think we're also big in Luxembourg. Isn't that right? I think so. There was something else. Thank God about that. I am I relieved. Know. I am too. I love the European countries that stick out like dogs' balls. I love that. (laughs) I think it's really nice. Oh, good on you guys. Thank you for the support. Thank you for coming on board. All right, so it's our birthday episode two, babe, that's coming up. It is. We're very excited. We're not going to say yet what the theme is. No, we won't. that's because we don't know what it is. (laughs) Exactly (laughs) right. But we do have some very strong options. And we do. Uh, and yeah, look, a year old. Fucking who would have thought, yeah, eh? Yeah, no, Here we still are. I know. Here we Absolutely. still are. Absolutely. Yeah. Good on you. Absolutely. So thank you for the support, guys. We will see you next week. This is the 80s montage. If it's music, maybe or, or cool, cool shit, shit from, from the 80s, 80s. we're going to talk about it. Ripper. Unreal. Unreal.